You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. If it does not please God, it will not have his blessing upon your venture. Something we can learn from this when we go out and start doing. We need to have the stamp of approval from God Almighty. We need to make sure God is leading us and God is guiding us before we start doing these things. Because if we do them in our own flesh, which is exactly what we're doing, we will not receive a blessing. It will not be blessed. God can't bless anything done in the flesh. When we do not consult with the Lord and get His directions, the results could be catastrophic. How often do you get an urge to do something and just jump right in? Today, Pastor Dave reminds us of David, who accomplished what God wanted him to, but didn't always seek the Lord first. Remember that there are lots of good things you can do, but if you don't seek God, you won't receive His blessing. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, as he begins his message, A Good Thing Done the Wrong Way. For the record, you don't have to turn there, but be aware that this account, as David goes to rescue the ark for the first time, is also can be found in 1 Chronicles 13, verses 1 through 13, and in chapter 15 of 1 Chronicles 15, verse 1 to 16, verse 3. So what we're studying can be also found in First Chronicles. So we sometimes compare them, and we sometimes we don't. But uh, let's look at this. So um, we're going to be looking at Second Samuel chapter six. Chapter six. I'm going to read through the ten verses that I'd like to cover this evening. So, and then we'll go back and we'll kind of look at them. Okay. Second Samuel chapter six, beginning in verse one. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, thirty thousand. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ayo, the sons of Abinadad, drove the cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So in some situations, this is called David's first attempt 
to recapture the ark. The Lord had accomplished great things already through David. He had accomplished all that he had promised. Promised David that he would be king, not only of Judah, but that he would be king of all of Israel. This occurred. David is now king of all Israel. The warring tribes that were fighting against each other have been restored into one nation. Upon the Lord's command, David has once again turned back and defeated the Philistines. But something was missing. There was a missing piece to all this restoration. David wanted the Israelites to experience what he had experienced, which was the presence and the glory of God in their lives. David's experienced that. David knew that. David knew the value of having a personal relationship with God. And like Adam and Eve, who were walking with God in the cool of the day, walking in the garden, the scripture tells us that when they sinned, the Shabbat, or the presence of God, left them. And the scripture tells us that when the glory of God left them, they looked down and they saw themselves naked. And they immediately covered themselves. They immediately tried to cover up their nakedness. And ever since that time, people have been on a quest to cover themselves in order to experience the presence and glory of God. People have been on this quest to cover themselves, to make themselves holy before a most holy and righteous God. We call it religion. We know that it doesn't really work very well. But God wanted to have a personal relationship with his children, Israel, the chosen ones. David also had in his heart to build God a sanctuary, a place in which he lived, because there was no sanctuary. The tabernacle in the wilderness was basically gone. There was no place for this to happen. David wanted in Jerusalem, which is now the capital city. And the very first step in order for this to take place would be go and recover the Ark of the Covenant. David had to recover the Ark of the Covenant. David knew from Scripture that the Lord desired a central sanctuary for the people to worship and the people to commune with him. Exodus 25, verse 22, speaking of the ark, the Lord says, there I will meet with you and commune with you. The ark, moving back, the ark to Jerusalem, also symbolized the restoration of the nation. Because once the ark was back and in its proper place, Israel would truly be one nation under God, once again. David knew that the presence and glory of God was linked to one thing, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was nothing more than a box. It was a box that was made out of acacia wood, and it was covered completely with gold. It was basically three feet, nine inches long, two feet, three inches wide, and two feet, three inches high. And in it were three things. You remember what the three things were? The manna that they picked up, Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded. They were in the ark. These were sacred. God had told Moses to place them there. The ark went before them in battle. The ark went before them when they went across the river Jordan. The ark was God's presence. And on top of the ark was a mercy seat. Between the two cherubim on the ark, it was a mercy seat where God would meet his people. And the glory would appear between the two cherubim. You can read about that in Leviticus 
The ark would sit in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. It would sit there. And there, the most holy, the high priest, would walk in there once a year and visit with God. And God's presence would fill the place. The Shekinah glory was all over the place. David knew the value that the ark represented. It represented the authority of God. It represented the presence of God. And it represented the word of God. He knew the value of having the ark close by. And he wanted the people to experience that. To experience that relationship with God that he had experienced all those years when he was running from King Saul. He wanted people to experience this beautiful and wonderful personal relationship with God. It had been almost 70 years since the ark had been captured by the Philistines. It had been missing from the nation. And David's desire was to get it back where it belonged. This was a good thing. David wanted to do a good thing. It was a very good thing for David to do. He desired to do this. I don't know if you remember when we studied 1 Samuel 4, back in the day of Eli the priest, the Philistines captured the ark. They captured the ark of the covenant from the Israelites. And while it was in their possession, the Philistines suffered with tumors all over their body. Many people believe that it was the bubonic plague. That's just conjecture. We don't know. We know that it says tumors. And because of this, they quickly got rid of it. They didn't want it anywhere. They got rid of the ark real fast. They got rid of it. They didn't want it back there. They sent it to Beth Shemesh. But it ended up at the house of Abinadad, who lived in a place called Kirjath Jerem. Find that in 1 Samuel 7, verse 1. It ended up at the house of Abinadad. And we don't hear much about that. So the ark was sitting there some 13 miles from Jerusalem. It's sitting there. And it had been sitting there for years upon years upon years. So David says, men, let's go get our ark. Let's go get it. And that's where the story begins in verse 1 and 2. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up the ark there, the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. David was doing a good thing. But he was doing it the wrong way. Something was missing. Something was missing that wasn't quite David. Something was missing when you look back on all the things we read about David and all the things he did. Something was missing from this venture. Can anybody tell me what it was? He didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't seek God's advice. He didn't seek God's advice. He just went out on his own to get the ark. He did not seek God's advice. He never sought the Lord. I know the ark being in Jerusalem seemed like a great idea, and everybody was real excited about it being there. David stepped out of character once again and failed to seek the Lord's direction. It was indeed a great thing to bring you back the ark, but he was going about it the wrong way. David, what are you thinking? David, my man, just because it pleased the king and it seemed to please the people doesn't mean it necessarily to please God. And if it does not please God, 
it will not have his blessing upon your venture. Something we can learn from this when we go out and start doing. We need to have the stamp of approval from God Almighty. We need to make sure God is leading us and God is guiding us before we start doing these things. Because if we do them in our own flesh, which is exactly what we're doing, we will not receive a blessing. It will not be blessed. And God can't bless anything done in the flesh. When we do not consult with the Lord and get his directions, the results could be catastrophic. We're going to see that. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. Oh, David. And brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Eo, the sons of Abinadad, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on a hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Boy, they're having a great time. It must have been some parade. 30,000 men. They go to get the ark. And the first thing they do is they make a new cart. And they start to transport the ark on this cart. And they're all dancing and having a great time going after it. But in these verses, we see a very good plan go terribly wrong. A very, very good plan go terribly wrong because they did not consult the Lord. They did not consult the Lord. They set the ark on a new cart as it was drawn by oxen. A large piece of wood with wheels when some animal's pulling it. Instead of following God's instructions on how to move the ark, David did exactly what the Philistines did years before in chapter 4. That's how the Philistines moved the ark. They moved it on a cart. Why didn't God do something to them? Because they were Gentiles. They were heathens. They didn't know any better. David knew better. David knew better. This was not the way the ark was supposed to move. The ark was designed to be carried. It was designed on each side so long poles could be put through the top of it and picked up by the priest so that they could carry the ark. That was the way the ark was to be moved according to scripture. Exodus 25, 12 through 13. And... It must only be carried by the Levites of the family of Koath. Numbers 4.15. So the Lord had placed really stringent standards on how to move the ark. God wanted the ark to be carried because he wanted nothing mechanical about the ark. Because it represented his presence. I love Alan Redpath. I've been reading a book about Alan Redpath on the, the making of a king. And it's all about David. It's a fascinating book. And he says this, quote, The ark was nothing less than a burden of the Lord, and the burden of the Lord was to be carried on the hearts of the Levites. I love that. There's a lesson here. God's work must be done God's way. If you're going to have a blessing upon it. You want God's blessing upon it? It must be done God's way. You know, just because all of the leadership agreed with David doesn't mean God gave his approval. Doesn't mean God gave his approval. This move comes quite costly, as I'm saying. They paraded behind the ark with all kinds of fanfare, music, and dancing. What a production this was. The atmosphere was joyful. It was exciting. They were singing. They were playing on all kinds of instruments. What's a cistern? 
I have no idea what a cistern is, and I'll have to look that up. But they were playing tambourines and stringed instruments and all kinds of stuff. They were hooting and hollering. The problem was that none of it pleased God. None of it pleased God because it was in disobedience to his word. This kind of thinking has crept into our church today. Everyone wants to see the glory of God. So we're going to have a big psychedelic concert. We're going to have flashing lights all over the place and smoke coming out of the things and all kinds of stuff. I'm going to get a great big sequin jacket and come swinging down through the thing. None of this impresses God. None of this impresses God. And we go forth and we try, let's fill a stadium. I even consulted God. Well, he would, why would he want it? He wants people saved. Let's fill a stadium. Got to consult God. Got to ask him, what would you have us do? You know, sometimes, don't get me wrong, I think these crusades are great. I think Greg Laurie does a great job. We know the legacy that Billy Graham left with his crusades. I think they're magnificent. But sometimes, you know, when I look at the Gospels and I look at Jesus, Jesus always talked to the multitude, but man, was he good at the one-on-one. Jesus was really good at the one-on-one. And I think that's where we need to be good at, the one-on-one. We need to be good at the one-on-one to share the gospel with those around us, our neighbors, our family members, those we work with, those standing in line at Wawa or ShopRite or Acme. We need to share the gospel with those people, the one-on-one. That's where it hits the road. It's easy, not really, but it's it's easy to stand here and talk to a great big group, but it's the one-on-one that really counts, getting inside each other's lives and, and knowing each other and fellowshipping with each other. We need to share that. But we bring in new carts, new technology, and we never seek the Lord's direction. And we say, well, look, surely God will bless it. Surely God will think this is a great idea. It's a new cart. Woohoo! We're always changing the way God did things long ago. People actually tell me, you can't teach the Word of God constantly. You've got to do new things. Excuse me? When did this ever go out of date? When does this ever lose its power? What do you mean I can't teach the Word of God? What do you want me to do? Tap dance? Be careful. What are we going to do? I'd be surprised that people tell me, oh, you can't do that. It may have worked at one time, but it doesn't work anymore. Excuse me? When did the word of God go out of date? Oh, there's new things we have to do. There's new things. We have to upgrade to feel God's presence more. We have to upgrade all these things. We have to do these things. God's looking at hearts. He wants hearts that are towards him. He don't need all those lights and shiny things going on. He doesn't need those kind of things. He wants a simple worship in spirit and truth from your heart. He loves it when you get alone and you just raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus, and worship him. He loves that. He doesn't care what kind of voice you have as long as it's coming out towards him. Redpath again said, quote, we want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some of our new carts. We like to add him to our list of organizations to load him on top of the merchant mechanics of the busy life and then drive. How much of a service is really in the energy of the flesh? So often we put our hands out, but not our hearts, unquote. These people walking behind the cart thought they were worshiping God. They really did. They thought they were worshiping God. I mean, they were euphoric. 
Too often we're tempted to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. We're tempted to, to judge how, how we feel about something. Well, you know, I wasn't moved, so it wasn't a very good service. I wasn't moved. We need to realize that worship is not about pleasing you. Worship is about pleasing God. We worship to please Him, not to please ourselves. We realize that worship is about pleasing God and we're driven to His Word so that we can know how He wants to be worshipped. What did Jesus say? Jesus explained how He's supposed to be worshipped. Those that worship me will worship him, must worship him in spirit and truth. That's how God wants worship, in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, it becomes a matter of your heart. A matter of your heart, you can have the greatest voice in the entire world. You can play an instrument like no tomorrow. But if your heart is not right, is God listening? If your heart is not right towards God, it just becomes clanging cymbals to him. Gusick said this, quote, it's hard to receive it in our consumer-oriented culture, but worship isn't all about what pleases us. It's all about what pleases God. Worship is what about pleases God, and we need to think of that when we're worshiping. What pleases you, Lord? A heart towards him by faith, accepting what he has for you. It's only by faith that God is pleased with us. Look at 6a. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor. They go to the threshing floor. And it's interesting that they come to this threshing floor because this is where the wheat and the chaff is separated. They have some sort of wind coming in there and they take the wheat and the chaff and they blow it up. And one is blown away, the chaff is blown away and the wheat comes back down. And they separate the wheat and the chaff. And chaff is always representative of sin. It's always representative of sin. And it's no coincidence because God was about to separate the chaff from them. He was about to do something incredible. And it's, it, he was going to take that which is not from him and the wheat which is in. He was going to take the bad from the good. God was getting ready to do that. So it's no coincidence that they go to a threshing floor. Look at 6b and 7. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. You're thinking, how cruel. How utterly cruel. Everything seemed to be going perfectly. They were dancing and singing and having a great time behind the Ark of God. The Ark of God was being moved. They were going to take it to the capital city of Jerusalem and everybody was going to have a grand time and they knew the Lord was going to be blessing them beyond belief. It was a euphoric time. They had finally got the presence of God and they were experiencing this wonderful time and they were shouting and crying out and they're doing all kinds of things and they hit a bump on the floor and the Ark started to go this way and Uzzah reaches out and grabs it because he wants to steady the ark of God. Heaven forbid the ark of God fall to the ground. It was a good thing what he did. You are the book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. 
David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page How to Be Saved to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.